You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. So I think it's important to know when to listen to other people. It's not easy, even whether you're an athlete and you're trying to listen to your coach or, or, or even in business. You know, I, I've gotten a lot of good advice from my attorneys, Zyker Elman Kraus on the real estate side. And, you know, sometimes you just want to do a deal because, you know, it's either been a long time or you need the money or you just want to do it, but you just can't because there's some issue and you need to know when not to force it. You know, sometimes I know I've said to you, you know, if you don't have a good feeling about the other person or about the other company, sometimes the right thing to do is just walk away. It's just not worth it. You're not, you, you know, doing a bad deal is not worth the aggravation because it's just like, and then you're stuck. I think that's really the biggest thing is, you know, I've been fortunate. I've gotten a lot of good advice. I tell people all the time, try and surround yourself with people that are looking out for you and are trying and are to spend the time and don't shortchange that. Don't, don't go for the, this sort of the cheapest lawyer. Don't go surround. If you have a board, surround yourself with people who have different experiences and have the business and, you, and yourself the best is you know want the best for the business and for you and want want to see you succeed and that that that's not easy to find I, i've been very fortunate that i've gotten a lot of advice from a lot of people that have shown an interest uh in me and the business and have been able to just just act as a sounding board that was andrew schlessel this is marnie salop Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, Marnie on the Move listeners. Welcome and welcome back. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. This week, I sync up with my good friend and cycling buddy, Andrew Schlessel. New to the world of endurance sports, Andrew has been training for his first century on July 29th, called Bike for Chai, benefiting the children and families of Chai Lifeline, which supports more than two dozen essential programs for more than 5,900 children and families confronting pediatric illness, crisis, and loss. Andrew has raised nearly $9,000 so far. And I will include a link in the show notes in case anyone wants to make a donation. In the spirit of adventure, I could not resist the opportunity to log some extra miles as I train for my 70.3 triathlons this summer. So I am doing most of the long rides with him this summer. We spend hours on the bike talking about training, getting stronger, faster, nutrition, hydration, health, fitness, and of course, Andrew is always motivated to log more miles based upon the next food stop. When he's not out cycling, Andrew Schlessel is the founder and chief investment officer of Terrier Capital Management, one of New York City's premier commercial real estate loan offices. Before we jump in to our conversation, shout out to our sponsors, Inside Tracker and Alchemine Supplements. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go-to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan 
of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Unlock the power of your potential. Use our code for 20% off. Thank you, MOTM. And of course, there's a link in the show notes. Also, shout out to Alchemind Supplements and Dr. Daryl Joffrey. I am loving the Alchemind plant-based organic protein powder. It has three core alkaline proteins, Satcha Inchi, pea, hemp, and coconut oil, which turns your body into a fat-burning machine. And of course, it's sugar-free. It's been a great addition into my training and fueling. I'm also using their acid-kicking mineral mix when I'm out on the bike for hydration, as well as the acid-kicking greens in all of my smoothies. And their omega-3 and black seed oil supplements for inflammation and general health. Check out their website, getoffyouracid.com, and use our code MOTM20 for 20% off. Now, back to our guest. Prior to launching his own business, Andrew spent a decade on Wall Street working as an investment banker before transitioning his career toward opening his own management firm. Most recently, during the COVID-19 pandemic last summer, Andrew adopted a brand new exercise routine, cycling. And of course, that is how we met. On this episode, I sync up with Andrew about entrepreneurship and what inspired him to launch Terrier Capital Management. Andrew gives me his top business advice and talks about navigating his company through the COVID pandemic. I ask Andrew all about how he discovered cycling and we reminisce about some of our most memorable rides. It wouldn't be a true Marnie on the Move episode without me geeking out on a cycling gear and nutrition. I hope my conversation with Andrew inspires you to dust off that bike in the back of your garage and hit the pavement or the gravel. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to the app wherever you listen. Click on the Marnie on the Move podcast. Click on five stars and click on write a review. Also, Share this episode with your friends on social, wherever you like to get social. And don't forget, sign up for our newsletter, The Download. Now, on to my conversation with Andrew. Thank you so much, Andrew, for being on the podcast today. I know we've been talking about this for a while, but we've been busy cycling. So I heard you went out for a quick ride today. How was it? Uh, it was pretty good. I um, I actually just got fitted yesterday at Strictly. Today was my first day kind of having a pro fit. And I did two quick laps in the park and I felt great. Felt much stronger on the hills. Great day out. Uh, weather was perfect. So it was, uh, it was good. That's awesome. I can't wait to ride this weekend. So when you're not cycling... Tell me a little bit about what you do. I mean, I know that you are an entrepreneur. You started your own company a couple years ago. Tell me about Terrier Capital Management and what you do when you're not out on the bike. Sure. So Terrier specializes in in bridge or, or what we call hard money loans for borrowers that can't meet conventional timing or underwriting guidelines. All our loans are secured by uh, real estate or other assets. Uh, we offer borrowers accelerate, accelerated processing and certainty of execution. We usually close loans in five to 10 business days when a conventional bank like Chase or City could take uh, about 90 days to close. Awesome. And do you work with a lot of real estate companies in the city? So 
most of our loans are originated from mortgage brokers where a broker will have a loan that they're trying to place with a bank and for one reason or another the bank won't be able to do that deal and they'll say okay well you know i'm sorry mr jones chase won't do this for you but i know this private lender carrier they may be interested in making a loan on this type of property uh as a band-aid to fix a problem but I would say most of our loans are not in the traditional, I'm buying a house and uh, it's a primary resident. They're really for a borrower that has a special situation. And I can certainly get into that. I mean, there are all types of things from being in foreclosure to needing to close quickly because of tax consequences, all types of reasons that people come to us that they can't go the conventional route with a traditional bank, like, a, again, a Chase or a Citibank or a valley or something like that. Have you seen an uptick in business or has it been like slow or have there been different kinds of loans or deals that you're brokering over the past year? We saw a big uh, increase in April and May of last year as the pandemic hit and banks really pulled back on the types of loans that they were doing and the leverage points that they were willing to lend against. However, since that time, I've actually, we've been surprised with the lack of deal flow. Uh, that we've seen. And a lot of that has to do with the amount of what we think is forbearances and government programs that they put in place for borrowers to protect borrowers from foreclosures and evictions or inability to evict and things of that nature. So I would say that, again, when, when it first hit, we, we were very busy. But as this, as it went on, it seemed as if we weren't as busy as we would have thought given the, the crisis that uh, certainly hit, you know, the tri-state area and right. the whole country. When did Terrier Capital Management begin? When did you start your company? So we started about four years ago, I believe. As I, I was previously spent about a decade on Wall Street, I started as a, an investment banker. And then I was fortunate enough to work at a, a, a large hedge fund called Kingdom Capital. Uh, I worked in the high yield and special situations group. And unfortunately, you know, the fund wasn't doing well and I got laid off, which is certainly a common thing on Wall Street. Right. And, you know, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with my life. And, and my Uncle Mike said to me, you know, you like this private lending. You were doing some of it with your family. You know, why don't you start a lending business? And I said, you're nuts. Like, <laughs> I have no money. And where am I going to find people who want to borrow money from me at? you know, 10%, let's just say. He's like, Andrew, if you have money and you tell people you have money, they'll find you. Don't worry. So sure enough, I kind of went out there and started telling people I have money to lend, which was completely, well, not completely all true. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I said it was true. Fake it till you made uh, it. <laughs> Fake it I made it. And uh, sure enough, you know, we closed the first loan, I don't know, after maybe like two months, it was, I think it's $350,000 loan in Flushing. It was still in Queens. And the borrower just needed a little bit of extra money to finish a construction job and he was short. So we lent him 350 and he, uh, he finished this beautiful two family house and sold it and repaid us. After you took that entrepreneurial risk to do your own thing, how did you feel? Like, did you miss the hustle and bustle of Wall Street? Or were you sort of feeling great that you had started this business and that you were clearly it took off after two months? You know, I think what I miss, I, I really like the independence. 
I think uh, it, when you have a job, there's usually someone, no matter how senior you are, telling you what to do all day long. Uh, where now I have much more freedom of how I want to spend my day. So at two o'clock, if I want to go for a bike ride, I can go for a bike ride. As long as I get my work done at later when, I, when it needs to get done and I'm available, you know, there's nothing that really stops me from doing that. I would say that I miss the camaraderie and going, well, certainly with COVID, going to an office every day and working with lots of smart uh, people. That is something that I definitely miss. But day in and day out, I certainly enjoy having my own business and not working for somebody else. Can you give me a few examples? No. So I'll give you a good example. Like I'm really one of our most prominent deals, and it's actually kind of I don't want to call it funny, but our most prominent deal, we had a borrower who owned a property in Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue. So clearly somebody of means, but could not afford the annual tax bill. You know, he had a situation where past years he earned a really good living and over time his life changed. So he owed New York City uh, about $600,000. The tax bill had gotten so large that the city was going to auction off his property. They're just like, sorry, we're going to take your property. We're going to sell it at auction. Whatever we get, we get. And if we get a million, great. We'll take our 600 and we'll give you the rest. Doesn't matter. So Terrier paid off the tax liens uh, and we took a mortgage against his property the day before it was scheduled to go to auction. And to give you a sense, I would say this property was worth somewhere between four and $5 million uh, at the time. So if this had gone to auction, the property would have sold for pennies on the dollar and whatever this gentleman got, he would have gotten. And there was nothing he could have done about it. It it, had gone through a foreclosure process and the city was just like, we're sorry, you haven't paid us. It's just too bad. So we were able to, you know, come in make a loan, give him some time, give him some breathing room, let him sell this property in an arm's length transaction in an orderly market. And he got, you know, a pretty good price for it when it was all said and done. And the money he saved in interest was nothing compared to how much money he would have lost if this property had gone to auction. He would have gotten, you know, maybe, again, 50 cents on the dollar or something like that. Do you see a lot of deals like that in your, in your experience? I would say we're really a special situation lender. So we've done deals where we, we've paid, we, we, I've, we've done a handful of deals where we had, this was, a, this was a tax lien. We've had deals where someone was in a foreclosure with a similar situation where they didn't pay another lender. They didn't pay a conventional bank and we were going to come in and pay off the bank and give them some time to fix the problem. Because uh, once you're in foreclosure, it closes off conventional finance. Right. Uh, another bank is not going to come in and take that, take that problem. So once we come in, get them current, we're then able to a lot of times get refinanced by a conventional lender or another lender at a, at a lower rate. Other times there are issues that just need to be resolved. We're making a, we're in the process, hopefully tomorrow, we're closing a loan with a borrower who has uh, what I would say is suboptimal credit. So his credit is below 600 and you, that is not eligible for a conventional loan. They had another loan that was maturing. We're, we're going to step in and we're going to uh, make a loan. And then the, the plan is for this person to repair their credit, get it above 650. And at that point, they hopefully will be eligible for a, for a, for a more conventional type of loan. So you really help people kind of bridge between those two, those two places where, you know, you believe that they're in a position where they can borrow the money, but a bank wouldn't lend it to them. And you get to them, them to that place where they can get the money from a bank. And it's all business stuff. It's not personal residential loans. It's all business. Yeah. 
we, we do not make any loans to individuals. All our loans are on investment properties for business purposes. How do people find Terrier Capital Management? As I think I said earlier, most of the time it's it's from a broker. We mostly market to brokers who have who have a clients that have problems because a commercial mortgage broker, they're they have they're always they're, their job is to go out and get the best rate for their client. So we're just trying. We, we, when the bank says no, potentially, I don't want to say we say yes. That would sound corny. Uh, we'll potentially say yes and. We, we protect ourselves in the, in the sense that we lend at a lower uh, leverage point than a bank would. So right. if a bank would lend at 75% of the value of an asset, we're maxed at 65%. Um, so we're, even though we're, we're, we're theoretically bottom fishing on the, the credit quality of some of the borrowers, you could, one might argue, we're, we're protecting ourselves by offering a lower amount of proceeds versus the assets. So how has your business now been navigating in moving into 2021 now that we're kind of coming out of the pandemic? Are you seeing flow with your business? What are you seeing for 2021? Yeah, I would say in the last, in the last, certainly in the last few weeks, we've seen an uptick in deal flow. And I think it's people are becoming more comfortable with the environment. And I think there, you know, when, when the pandemic hit, there was a, a widespread between buyers and sellers. And I think that gap has narrowed. There's been a realization that some properties are, aren't worth what they thought they were worth, where, you know, sometimes that happens, you know, where people have to realize or, or, or that the, mar- or the market is telling them like they thought it was worth X and actually it's, it's not. And uh, so I think we, we've certainly seen a, a, an increase in deal activity. Um, I think at least in New York City, I know on the, the luxury side, deal volume, not pricing, but just the amount of transactions that are occurring. Uh, I think is up north of 50% year over year uh, on pre-COVID levels, which is kind of unbelievable. And I, I, I suspect it's because people are starting to realize with the vaccine rollout and whatnot that at some point New York will be, you know, coming out of this and people are ready to, to move forward. Yeah. I mean, and speaking of moving forward, <laughs> before we move on to the fitness part of this conversation, where did the name Terrier come from? Ah, so... So about 12 years ago, my mother got lonely when my younger brother, Ethan, went to uh, college. So she rescued this adorable terrier. His name is Mr. Ashby. He's about 17 now, believe it or not, and lives in Long Island and spends his days chasing after other dogs and rabbits, mostly. Truth be told, he's never caught anybody or anything, but he sees a rabbit and he's ready to run even at 17 years old. But you know, to me, I think the breed really conveys who we are. You know, we're, we're, we try and be quick, smart, and I'd say a tad bit aggressive. I think it was kind of the perfect name for a hard money lending business. And honestly, I was shocked to find out that it wasn't taken because when you research uh, at least hedge fund names, like every name is taken and uh, oak tree and you know, all these trees and animals is, is already been taken. And I have plenty of friends who have named their funds after the, the streets they live on. Uh, I, there, was, there was like Bayberry Capital and Orchard Square, and all types of names such as that. And so to find out that this dog that my mother rescued, no one really thought that Terrier was a good name, but we really like it. So, you know, that's kind of where it came from. Uh, and I highly recommend if anyone wants a dog to get a terrier because they are awesome, uh, very loving and very pr- uh, protective, a little nuts, but that, but that's okay. 
you mentioned, we talked about earlier, you know, we were talking about cycling. That's how we met this summer, cycling, Central Park. Have you always been into cycling? Is that something that you've been doing your whole life or was it really just you just started? So I'm totally, totally new to the sport. Uh, Truth be told, um, you know, I wanted to start getting into better shape at the beginning of 2020 and I started getting into spinning and I was spinning about three, four days a week. And sometimes I loved it. Sometimes it was okay. But when I came out, I was drenched in sweat and I'd really, I don't know, leaned out a nice amount from it. And it was, you know, it worked out well for me. It was, you know, it was in my schedule. I went every, you know, three, four days a week at 630 at Equinox. I was done. I'd lift a little bit and then I was done and life was good. And then COVID happened, and obviously the gyms are closed. And I like spent a month in, I think, yes, it was April, doing absolutely nothing like everybody else, sheltered in place. And then I remembered that I had this old hybrid bike that I barely ever rode, and I should just see if I like it. And I started kind of riding around the city on the uh, Upper West Side Pass along the Hudson River, just doing loops around the city. Did a standard 25-mile ride on my hybrid, like Saturday, Sundays, every day. So I kind of wanted a little bit more. Everyone was like passing me by. And like I I could do two loops in Central Park, and I was like gassed. And I was like, what is going on? And and my friend's like, dude, you got to get a road bike. Like you're on the wrong kind of bike. And another thing, you got to get cleats. I was like... (laughs) (laughs) so truth be told first i got cleats for my hybrid and face planted right in front of uh, bed bath and beyond (laughs) on the upper east side first time out like not good so i learned that concrete is really strong (laughs) i'm not i rode over the 59th street bridge and i think i face planted again on the other side but by the time i got home i think i had broken the cleat so i took so so i went back to, to, to riding without cleats but anyway, I, I spent a bunch of time trying to figure out what bike to get, and I ended up getting a Trek Amanda SL6, and it was awesome. But I still had no idea what I was doing, and then I met a bunch of people who were kind enough to help me out. A, a friend of mine helped me learn to use the cleats, and then I met you and started riding, doing longer rides out to Nyack. I know. I thought uh, you were with- a serious cyclist. Honestly, you could have you fooled me because you were so fast, and you totally were cruising through Central Park. And I'm like, hey, you want to ride with me and my cycling buddies? And then we went on like a 60-mile ride, and you totally – after the ride, you were like, wow, that's the longest I've ever gone. And I was like, what? Yeah, no, I think last summer we, we, we made it out to 70. Uh, I think I had 75 miles on my. That we ended up doing that, but that wasn't your, I think the first ride I was like, oh. No, that was not my first ride. Yeah. No, I had wanted to go to Nyack because I kept hearing about Nyack and the bakery. And I mean, it doesn't take much to motivate me to get somewhere but food. So, yes. hey. This is know, how my training say- has changed from being a triathlete to cycling with you, Nicole, and Doug has been all about the food stops, which... That's uh, uh, what I live for. I mean, I, you tell me there's great food. I'm like, oh, let's bike there. That sounds great. You met a bunch of people. You started cycling. You started cycling with us, with my crew. And then you added to... My crew was really just Nicole. <laughs> and then obviously uh, uh, Lori on occasion when she would come with us. But mostly I was cycling with Nicole. Yeah. Yes, and I actually met Doug. I, the, I, the irony of this was he was he lived across the street from me and we met at the diner and started talking cycling. And then I had a cycling buddy who lives across the street and it was like, great. 
Like, let's go. Right. You know, and he's, uh, you know, a freak athlete and he makes everything look effortless. So, and he rides you know, on a fixed gear. I think he would do a hundred miles ride and not even like train. He'd be like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll do a hundred miles today. Okay, great. I think he's secretly an Olympic athlete and hasn't told us. I think, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, and he'd probably have a beer at every stop too. And like, just, he'd just be so frustrated. This you weekend when yeah. we did our ride and he ordered quiche. Ah, <laughs> oh, the quiche, the quiche. That killed me. I just put it into my training peaks as two separate bike rides. I mean, the pause between our ride to the market and our ride home was probably an hour and a half. Anyway, it was soul crushing for me, but I had the best time. It was so great to get out and ride. So, I mean, I have been told a shameless plug that 9W Marketplace has the best quiche like ever. Oh, like really? I have a friend who lives in Texas who literally all he does when, he, when as soon as I mention cycling, he's like, oh, the 9W Marketplace quiche is like. That's what it's about. Wow. Yeah, it was a pretty intense quiche. So, I mean, I didn't eat any, but it looked intense. You've been riding. You spent all summer training and cycling. Were you training for a century last summer, or you just signed up this summer to do a century, Was and it got canceled? What's the story? No. I mean, I have a, I have a childhood friend that every year, or the last few years, has raised money for Cam uh, Simcha, which is a camp that uh, is focused on providing uh, a summer experience for children and teens with cancer and other blood disorders. So in the past years, I've contributed, like not a big deal, like, you know, and he's always like, you got to do it with me, you got to do it with me. So uh, last year, I think I wasn't really ready. But this year, I've I've committed, I am, I'm doing their 100 mile uh, bike ride uh, in July, gonna raise at least $5,000, hopefully a lot more because they really uh, do a good job and provide a service for, for, for children that really get a tough draw out of life sometimes. And so, I, so, you know, I think it's a good thing for me to do, and it's certainly not a race, so uh, I'm certainly excited by it, uh, and I've just started training for it. Awesome. Can listeners make a donation on a website? Yes, there, there actually is a page. I don't okay. know what it is off the top of my head, but I can certainly send you the link, and okay. I'd be I'll put it most appreciated if you yeah. support me, but it's really not for me. It's really for the children of Camp Simcha. Again, it's, it's, it's really, you know, kids with, with different types of cancers and things like that, and special needs and, and whatnot. So, uh, but I'm going to ride for them and raise a lot of money. No, I'm excited. That's awesome. I'm excited to train with you this summer. So we're officially training starting now. We started this weekend, right? I think we started last weekend. We did 45 miles out to 9W to uh, the 9W Marketplace and then back to the city. That was our first kind of, you know, longer ride. And then the plan is about two to three days a week to ride in Central Park and to just work on getting a little bit faster and stronger uh, on the loops. You know, um, I'd say my short-term goal is to do about a loop in 18 minutes. I've been told like the record people are at like 12 minutes. Oh my god! So okay. So that that's not the goal. I know you're saying I'm fast. Did you look that up fast, on Strava? I did look that up on Strava. Somebody did it in 12 minutes and six seconds, and okay. I was just like, um, yeah, that's not happening. But so, but cycling isn't your first sport. You are an avid skier. What else do you do? I mean, you've been on this sort of health kick. Uh, no, I mean, I grew up, yeah. you know, playing a lot of baseball. I, as you know, I love, I don't know, I guess it's a sport. I, I love know. scuba yeah. diving. Yes. I love scuba diving. I just came back uh, with my girlfriend, Jessica, and I. We were in Turks and Caicos in late January. Uh, we saw some awesome sharks and barracudas and things like that. Um, I do love to ski. I grew up skiing out west in uh, Vale and Beaver Creek. Cycling, though, is just, 
like it's actually similar to skiing. When you're going down a hill, nothing feels better. And when you're walking up a hill or riding up a hill, excuse me, nothing is worse. What are some lessons that you got along the way from your sports and athletics that you take to being an entrepreneur and running your business day to day? So I think it's important to know when to listen to other people. It's not easy, even whether you're an athlete and you're trying to listen to your coach or, or, or even in business. You know, I, I've gotten a lot of good advice from my attorneys, Zyker Elman and Kraus, on the real estate side. And, you know, sometimes you just want to do a deal because, you know, it's either been a long time or you need the money or you just want to do it. But you just can't because there's some issue and you need to know when not to force it. You know, sometimes I know I've said to you, you know, if you don't have a good feeling about the other person or about the other company, sometimes the right thing to do is just walk away. It's just not worth it. You're not, you, you know, doing a bad deal is not worth the aggravation because it's just like, and then you're stuck. So, I mean, I, I, I think that's really the biggest thing is, you know, I've been fortunate. I've gotten a lot of good advice. And, you know, and I think uh, I tell people all the time, like, you know, try and surround yourself with people that are looking out for you and are trying and are going to spend the time and don't shortchange that. Don't, don't go for the, necessarily the cheapest lawyer. Don't go surround. If you have a board, surround yourself with people who have different experiences and have the business and, you, and yourself, the best, you know, want the best for the business and for you and want, want to see you succeed. And that. That, that's not easy to find. I, I've been very fortunate that I've gotten a lot of advice from a lot of people that have shown an interest uh, in me and the business and have been able to just just act as a sounding board. Well, you're really good at taking advice, I think, also, because it sounds like when you, just from my own experience of cycling with you, when you listen or take advice from other people, you actually do it. You just got your bike fitting. You know, you definitely spend a lot of time evaluating what the risks are and what the value is and what the benefit is and looking at things from different perspectives and different angles. And then you kind of like make a decision and then you just do it. Yeah. I mean, again, I think you got to, in any business, evaluate the options. At a hedge fund, we used to call it games worth playing, where the upside downside is in your favor. So you want to make decisions that have good upside and minimal downside, right? That's always the goal, right? You know, obviously the toughest decisions are when if it goes right, it's going to be great. And if it doesn't work, it's a total disaster. And those are obviously much harder to make, but the optimal scenarios are things that, you know, you're just kind of tweaking, like, for example, the bike fitting, right? Yeah. No brainer. I, the only thing, the only thing that, I, that, I, that I question is why it took me so long to do it. I guess I just didn't really, I, I just didn't do, I should have done it quicker and I didn't. And now I've been out after the bike fit and I'm like, wow, that was so much easier. I was probably, I was pedaling so inefficiently before. Right. Well, I think it also comes with time and practice, right? I mean, part of it is like you can, you can hear and get a lot of advice on what you should do and what you shouldn't do when it comes to business, when it comes to sports, anything really. You really have to kind of experience it a little bit and then find your own way. So that's kind of my sort of takeaway from that. We talk a lot about health and wellness. You and I, we have those conversations on a regular basis. When we're out on the bike, you'll be like, why should I take vitamin D? And (laughs) you are sometimes the inspiration behind a lot of the questions because you're yeah. someone who obviously also listens to the podcast, but of course, has that always been something that's part of your DNA? Have you always been into health and wellness or did you have a point in your life, like a turning point where you suddenly you were like, I really need to get this into a good place. Like, what is that for you? 
I think to say that when, you know, when I was in high school, like every other guy, you were trying to impress girls. And mm -hmm. so I started lifting weights in, I don't know, junior year of college, uh, high school, excuse me, high school or senior year of high school. And at that time, everyone was reading about, should we take creatine or what if we take steroids or what if, or does, you know, Reservatrol, which I know you're a big fan of, does that do anything? So, But they weren't I talking about that when you were in high school. No, we weren't talking about Reservatrol, I assure you. We were, we, were, we were definitely talking about creatine and... Yes, I remember when everyone was take. they were drinking raw eggs and... Yes, Hulk Hogan was, I think it was Hulk Hogan or maybe Sylvester Rocky. Stallone, my two, or, I think it was Rocky, but I think Hulk Hogan also was legendary for, for eating a, a raw egg. And then I think I read somewhere that your body can't even like, digest like raw eggs, so yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like whatever. But, so I look, I started on the you know, lifting weights and whatnot in high school and college. And then as I got into my working career, I think I kind of, you know, it just, I didn't focus on it as much. And then as I, as I mentioned, I kind of about 15 months ago, really restarted on, on more cardiovascular exercises and, and I was spinning and then now I'm, I'm, I'm cycling and love it and want to cycle as much as I can. But you also eat super healthy and you... Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely more into the like... And you cook? Well, I cook. I have to like cooking, but I'm also more into the, you know, runs on the ground, swims in the sea or flies in the air type, you know, mentality or is green. You know, I think it was Charles Polkman who said that, who uh, said that that's kind of the staple of your diet. And, you know, I've tried to get away from like, all the stuff with crap in it and even when we look at like protein bars they're like filled with like all types of junk and it's just it's, it's just I know it's a necessary evil because to make it taste like anything other than cardboard but it's I really think the you know trying to keep it simple and staying away from all these like low fat this and low fat that and just the, the simple staples are kind of like the key for me uh, and I know when I, I focus on that that I you know lean out and feel better and everything is good yeah. So how are you feeling as you head into training and into this next season of cycling outdoors and getting ready for your July century? Well, well, right now I feel great. That's probably because I've only, I've only done three rides so far and the weather is great, but you know, or I, I think, you know, I, I'm certainly heading towards uh, a, a great summer of riding. What are some things that you're doing to stay healthy? Uh, well, my friend Marty tells me to take Reservatrol, so obviously I take that every morning, uh, yeah. which it's true. I started taking that. I have no idea if it works or not, but mm -hmm. I take it every morning. In general, I take vitamin C and vitamin D, and the only other thing that I would say I really supplement with is a protein shake. Not really a big fan of the nutraceuticals. I'm not really sure if most of it really does anything, so that's really all I'm taking these days, and you know, I feel pretty good. And you also check your health and go to the doctor regularly and look at your blood and do all that stuff as well. Yes. Yeah, so I hereditarily have, or, or prone, I should say, I'm prone to have high cholesterol and high sugar. So I generally get checked every six months just for the cholesterol and, and the A1C. And according to both my doctors, I'm as healthy as I could be considering my genetics. So That's awesome. You know. After that, there's not much I could do. I definitely think that the cycling helps and, you know, 90-mile bike rides uh, certainly certainly is one way to lower your, uh, your A1C. Yeah. What podcasts are you listening to? What books are you reading? Who are you following besides me and Marnie on the Move podcast? I mean, 
there's some guy that you like that you send me his newsletters all the time. What's what's that? Do you like him or you hate him? Oh, I don't know what you no, think. I hate him. But I, I, <laughs> I, he, that's interesting. I, I hate him, but I can't I can't stop. Well, there's two people I send you. Well, one. So I'm, a, I'm an avid 49er fan, believe it or not. Yeah, so I can't stop talking about the reading about the 49ers and that's Grant Cohn and his and his podcast, but I hate him. And then there is but but I listen anyway, so right. it's like one of those. And then I'm trying to remember the gentleman's name who I Chris Cresser, who sends a lot of information and he's much more paleo focused, which is kind of even though it's a very tough way to live. I, I generally s- subscribe to that style of a diet of, you know, clean food and again, protein and veggies and salads and healthy fats and all that stuff. That works for me. I mean, I've tried all different kinds of not diets, but just ways of eating. At one point, I was really just eating protein and greens. Then I brought carbs back in and then I tried to be vegan at some point. And you know what? I think what really works for me is just like lots of greens, lots of vegetables and protein. And the carbs kind of make me tired. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I hear you. I'm the same way. Like, I, I think carbs are the devil. For me, if someone asked me, right, look, I love peanut, M- peanut M&Ms. Okay, yeah, but I still think they're the devil. Yeah. <laughs> Total kryptonite. Like, on that and grilled cheese, but... Yeah. But but if you ask me like white bread, for example, like even with grilled chicken, I, I believe is like white bread, my body does not handle well. And even when I convert to like whole wheat, I don't see much of a difference for me or how I feel. I And I just know when I ditch bread and a lot of the, the simple carbs, it just, I just, I feel better. I, my performance seems to be better. So I, you know, I'm a big believer in the, the paleo style of life. Uh, versus, you know, how strict you want to be about it. That, that, that's a different story altogether. In addition to cycling, I know you are an avid diver. How did you get into scuba diving? So interestingly enough, one of the traders that I worked with at, uh, when I was at, on Wall Street was an avid scuba diver. And he was like, you have to try it. You have to try it. And I was going to Turks and Caicos for a week. And he's like, dude, you got to get uh, certified. And I was like, okay. And I grew up sailing, but I never really thought, and, and fishing, but I never really thought like, oh, what would water be like below the boat? But I took the class, got certified in the city, went out to do my open water dives, passed all the tests in the ocean in Turks and Caicos. And then I, we had a dive where the currents were really strong. And I quickly, meaning maybe halfway through the dive, and went up to what, what is called the safety bar, where you're 15 feet below the uh, 15 feet of depth, so to speak, and you're supposed to stay there for three minutes to let nitrogen out of your blood uh, as a safety protocol. And a pack of wild dolphins circled me, and all they wanted to do was play. And I was like, "Oh my God, I'm in!" I literally spent I don't know like 10 minutes on the safety bar just watching them swim and swim and swim. And I was talking, to, and when that was over, none of us could believe what had happened. And I was talking to other divers, and they're like, you're going to go the rest of your life, and that's not going to happen to you again. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This doesn't happen once a week? What do you mean? That's so funny. But uh, at this point, I've done, I don't know, about 50 dives, probably more. I, I've dove in the Red Sea in Israel and in Sardinia in Italy, and I'm actually heading down to the Florida Keys in a couple of weeks. I'm going to a friend's wedding, but of course, two days of diving with my lovely girlfriend. And she's into diving, too. That's awesome. She loves it. Yep. She learned to do it in the fall. She's done about 10 dives now. So as as excited as we are for Kyle's wedding, we're, we're equally as excited for diving in the Keys. 
And so where's the coolest place that you've ever dived besides the dolphin experience? And what did you see? Actually, in Key Largo, there's a 500-foot, I think it is, vessel that's about 110 feet deep. I can't remember the name of the ship, but basically you can go down and swim through the vessel. And with a guide, it's super safe because you only you can only you only could swim through where you could see out. You can't like, go into the vessel, into the vessel, right. but you could swim through the ports and you could see where they used to have the machine guns. And it's it, it's it's unreal to be at 100 feet and to see a vessel that large at the bottom of the ocean. Wow. Uh, and they sunk it to be a, a natural reef. Wow, that's pretty cool. And what is it that you love about diving most? Believe it or not, it's so relaxing. And it's like being on another planet. I, I would say I've done a couple of night dives. Sometimes they're amazing and sometimes they're, they're not. But you basically go down at sunset and you get a little flashlight. And in the distance, you see everybody kind of popping up and down. And I've never been to Mars, but it's kind of how I imagine space to be. And it's just an incredible experience. And the things that you see are just unreal. And you just don't have those experiences or I've never had those experiences with any other forms of animals, seeing barracuda and sharks and angelfish. And it's like swimming in a fish tank, especially in the Caribbean where the water is so pristine and beautiful. That's really cool. Have you ever been super close to a shark and felt terrified but excited at the same time? So the first dive, I'm terrified of sharks, I should say that. Uh, My first dive ever, I went down and I saw, I think, a nurse shark, which are not small. I mean, they could be four or five feet, maybe even bigger, but actually don't have teeth. And I think he could have been, I don't know, 400 feet away, 300 feet away. Maybe I I have no idea, but he looked at me and I looked at him (laughs) and he then decided, turned around and swam the other way as fast as he possibly could. And I remember laughing hysterically being like, why is he afraid of me? I'm the one who's terrified. But when, when you see a shark, it's somewhat exhilarating and somewhat scary. And I think that's what's so cool about it. I really do believe that, you know, most sharks are, are absolutely terrified of people. You know, I, my girlfriend tells the story that when she went down at Barracuda, which are known to be aggressive, right. kind of charged her, got within two feet of her and then realized, oh, shit she's way bigger than uh, the fish. So it turned around and swam the other way as fast as it possibly could. Right. I think when you're above the water, it's probably even more scary because you can't see what's below you. And I think the the sharks probably think you're a seal and they just think you're a dinner. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. I know that I feel at the top of the, at the surface, when I'm floating, you feel vulnerable. When you're on the the bottom, you don't feel that. I never feel that way because you kind of can see everything and nothing's just going to come out of nowhere. I guess it theoretically could if you watch Jaws, but um, you know, but like, (laughs) but yeah, but that's a movie. But but you're never in the middle of the water. You're either at the bottom or you're at the top. So you're never at. If the seabed is 60 feet, you're at 60 feet of depth. You're never at 30 feet, except for when you're going up and down. So I think it's an amazing, amazing feeling, and it's an amazing experience, and I recommend it to anyone who's looking to try something new. There are a lot of great places to do it, and in, in, certainly in the Caribbean, which yeah, is really not awesome. that far away from New York. Yeah, well, I hope we all get to travel again and get out and explore the world for sure. Yes, yes. Uh, hopefully one day we will all get to go on airplanes and not worry about uh, mass vaccines and all this other stuff. Yes, one day. That's so cool. Thanks for sharing. That's awesome. Well, this has been really great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. My, oh, my pleasure. This was great. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at 
Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram, and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com, for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com, and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of, If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. 